Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you very much for that warm welcome. Yes, hello, everyone. Welcome to Script Shop. This is our first live show. That's right. Oh. Jack's nervous. Oh. No, this isn't. Don't, it, don't be. It's not weird. I'm just. I'm flop sweating over here, and I need to. I'm used to being in a small, dark room with with people, as opposed to a well lit room with a lot of people. So this is very off putting for me. Yeah, if everybody could just close your all eyes, that would help me a lot. I mean, not to, not to mention that this is the first time Jack and I have ever shared a microphone yes. very intimately here. This, we're, this, we're having a moment. It's kind of gross, I know. honestly. <laughs> so everybody, thank you so much for uh, coming out to Pod Discovery. Huge thank you to Steve Ramos and Sean C. Davis. Pod Discovery here in Cincinnati. Cincinnati Major Podcast Festival. We are flattered. Flattered beyond words to be a part of this show. And also, uh, shout out to the Unruly Sports Fan, the live show that was on just before us. Uh, appreciate uh, getting everybody greased up. This is going to be really good for us. Have some more beer. Yes. <laughs> Please. Have more. So this is Script Shop, a show where we talk with screenwriters about the screenplays that they've written and why they're the only person in the history of the whole world who could have possibly put the words down on a page that they did and what this screenplay means to them. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's very personal. Things that mean things to people. Ooh, some mood lighting. Ooh, that's very nice. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, we are on Facebook. We're on Instagram, on Twitter. Script Shop Show on any of those platforms. We would love it if you would uh, check us out, find us, friend us, follow us. And uh, that we'd be stoked about that. This, uh, this is our little show. We love it. And it means so much to us to be here in front of you all. Also, if you know somebody who's a writer or, or who has been writing, you've got to tell them to submit to the show because we love, love, love diving into new stories and new screenplays. So if you're a writer or you know one, get them to send their scripts in at scriptshopshow.com slash submit. One more thing. One more thing. We are also, we are on Patreon. Uh, if you would even remotely consider. Reenies. Reenies. Reenies and Roonies. Send them our way. <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that, that's an insanely flattering thought, just the prospect of it. Uh, if you happen to have a couple extra Reenies or Roonies, say at the end of the month, we would be uh, very, there's too much show history to get into the, 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 the history of Reenies and Roonies, although it really just comes from her saying Buccarinis and Buccaroonies, so I guess it's not that complicated of a continuity. <laughs> I, mm, I like those words. I get it. Yeah, thanks. So today on the show, um, not only do we have, we've got a Frank full set today. Yeah, this is like the first time we've had Frank on the show. Frank, in what, like six weeks? A month? Two months? How, how it, long? It's been way too long. Yeah, it has been. Do you miss us? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I've had people starting to ask whether or not you're real or whether you're just a bit. She's acting surprised that I miss you. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, Frank, that's endearing. Frank, we're very glad to have you here. Uh, Frank Steele, uh, our producer on the show, it's, uh, he's usually a very busy guy, and we're lucky enough to have him here with us this evening. So today's script from Trevor Morgan, all the way from Chicago, Illinois, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is how frequently do, do you in your head say Illinois versus Illinois? Anybody Never. at the table? Really? Never. No? Yeah, no, Anyone? that doesn't no. happen. 
You? Thank you. Thank you. A show of hands in the audience. No, Do you say Illinois because it's fun, right? And then thank that's you. That's like being from Oregon and calling it Oregon. Oregon. That's true. That's true. That's not smart. <laughs> Truly, it's not smart. All right, from Chicago, Illinois, is Trevor Morgan. Trevor Morgan. We're Welcome gonna. To the show. Oh, okay. Thank Very you. happy to have you. We're going to be talking about his 13-page screenplay short 10 hours. It's a produced film that we actually were lucky enough to uh, screen during this independent film festival in Cincinnati, Ohio this year. 13-page stagnated culture clash in an Uber featuring family dysfunction and lots of uh, repressed (laughs) impulses, really. (laughs) There's a lot of frustration in the script, I would say. So let's welcome Trevor to the show yes, again. Yes, welcome Trevor. Very happy to have you. I've never been welcomed so many times. <laughs> welcome to Cincinnati. It. <laughs> it's, it's good filler for us. We're just going to keep doing it. It gets a good crowd reaction. All right, welcome Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to go back to this question, which is, does your mom talk about your work as a child mm. actor frequently? Because my mom talks about me, and I haven't done on, that on some level, I'm still a child actor. There you go. Because I haven't grown up mentally very much. <laughs> Folks, if, if Trevor Morgan isn't a name perhaps you recognize off the top of your head, uh, you may recognize him by looking at him when he was much younger in films like Jurassic Park 3 and The Sixth Sense. Yeah. Don't be there weird about it. It's uh, fine. There you go. Um, no, seriously, though, not, does not, she? In, not in a way that's weird. Uh, I mean, you know, in, in any other way, it's just reminiscing of fun times that we had Aww. on set together. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was very lucky to be the profiteer of um, some awesome circumstance. Uh, and I've been very lucky. And I've had some really fantastic experiences. Um, and a lot of those I, I shared with my mom. So. Honestly, well, that's very you know, that's a very sweet answer. That, well, he's a sweet guy. That's, I know it's a very sweet answer. <laughs> well, how did you start? <laughs> how did you start in the industry, especially like as a young person? Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> that's funny because as a young person, it's like now I'm old, I guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, so it sort of happened all by fluke. Um, I was uh, five years old. And uh, I was d- my favorite movie was Beetlejuice, and I was doing a Beetlejuice impression in the middle of Woodfield Mall, and it just just so happened. No, that's that's retired. Thank you. Though. It Thank was you, though. cute. Uh, yeah, now it's just weird. <laughs> um, so what what ended up happening was is that uh, at that time when I was five, there was a lot of ad agencies because of the Bulls. And there was a casting director who was commercial casting director who told my mom to bring me to um, an audition the next day. And uh, it was for Mrs. Dash, and I got it. And that's basically how it happened. So I started off in commercials, and then it just all sort of, like a fluke, just uh, continued to uh, have good fortune. Did you guys ever have to have a conversation like, do you like this? Yeah. You know? Uh, No. No, because I never exhibited anything that I didn't like about it. Yeah. Um, I've always kind of been uh, uh, a bit different um, on some level. Like, I learn differently. Uh, I read things differently. Uh, that's, that's, what, is it, what does that mean? You look, what does um, that mean? Okay, so, I mean, it's kind of, you know, thinking about this and thinking about writing, I actually remembered um, the fact that they, they uh, t- tested me for ADD when I was in first grade. Um, and... Uh, the, the teacher who tested me 
told my parents don't put me on medication. It's just I just think differently. Um, oh, and she goes, cool. she goes, why? And she goes, well, he definitely probably has ADD. Don't get me wrong. But uh, you'll write on the board, the ship sails to China, and every kid will just sort of accept it. Um, but your kid will be like, why is the ship going to China? What's it taking to China? Which way is it going to China? How deep's the water? Who's the captain of the ship? Can I be the captain of the ship? And like, that's just sort of, I always, I always sort of thought um, in story and, yeah. uh, and lived in my imagination. So it never really, it, it didn't really feel... Um, odd, I guess. I just sort of took to it, and it, it never felt like it was something I was uh, made to do, um, and in many ways, it felt like they were fostering something that I enjoyed, in right. the same way that some kid would really like soccer, you know? So was it was it a tough shift then to go from, say, reading other people's words in front of a camera to starting to write your own? Uh, on some level, I mean, uh, you know, so uh, I now know as a 30, uh, about to be 33-year-old man, um, if you can call me a man, uh, that I have, I'm mildly dyslexic. Um, and when I read, I don't really read in the same way other people do, where I pay attention to punctuation. Um, and as an actor, that kind of was really, uh, in some ways, helpful, because you're not tied down to how something is supposed to be delivered. It's just all of your imagination, and there's an openness to it. Um, but I noticed when writing, uh, people like punctuation. Uh, <laughs> people like to understand what it is that you mean. Um, and what you were trying to imply. Um, so that's always been a challenge ever since I was a kid was is that I'd, I'd never get an A in English. I'd always get a B because of the content was good, but it was grammar was always a challenge. When you were writing a script and a screenplay, do you have to have somebody else go through and work on punctuation? Or, or what skills have you created to help you put this into your current life? Um, you know, I, I think for a while I tried to do that. Um, have other people do it, and I just decided I needed to be a grown-up and take ownership over my own stuff. So now what'll happen is, is I'll still have someone just like, like for instance, um, my lady, she'll read it just to double check, just to make sure. Um, and also I want to know her thoughts on something that I read, but I'll proofread endlessly. So by the time I've sent it to someone, I've read it like 20 times um, and obsessed over it and read it out loud. That's what helps me. So as I'm reading it out loud, it's for some reason hearing it and me having to say it solidifies it on some level yeah. for me of what is working and what isn't and what needs to be there. How much of your experience from being an actor when you were young figures into what you're deciding to write on, the way you're writing something? Does that, does that actor experience help influence your writing at all? Uh, I think it does. I think it does. And I also think that, uh, you know, like anything, there's a plus and a minus, right? So on some level, for me, I think one of the great advantages of being um, an actor is that uh, you, I have a knack for dialogue. Um, and I know when I've, I've developed over the years a good bullshit detector on on, on whether or not the line is something that someone would actually say um, and the tone. Um, however, when acting, you're, you're kind of not analyzing what it is that you're doing as you're doing it. That would be like analyzing what you're doing right now as we're doing it in real life. I would explode. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. so, no thanks. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very um, instinctual emotional process. And emotion just in general is something that's very nonverbal and, and subtextual, hard to describe. So that taking that into writing... Um, I've noticed that I struggle structurally, um, and uh, I've had to 
really work on the story science a little bit, or at least be mindful of it, um, to make sure that the, the story pieces are working and the plot points are there. What, what have you done to teach yourself those types of things? You know, you've got the dialogue, you might have the thesis, the genesis of an idea, but what kinds of things have you done that have helped teach you how to do beginning, middle, end, arc here, under arc here, et cetera, et cetera? I would say that the biggest thing the number one thing that I've done is uh, send scripts to people. Yeah. That is um, one of the most weirdly humiliating things when someone gives you a note when you're like, oh my God, it's like I've been building a house from the inside out and, yeah. and someone walks up and is like, you know, you could do a little, you could put a little effort into the outside here. So you've got people that you trust to be honest with you about your stuff. Oh, uh, I was too, I mean, in the beginning I was too naive to think that there was anything wrong with it. So I sent it to some people who I just like cringe when I think about what I sent certain people. Um, but beyond that, I mean, I really started to take uh, a lot of control over it. Um, with one of the first things I wrote was like a tone poem type of piece that was about 45 pages long that was right after my grandfather's death. Mm. And that really got me into writing. That's what solidified me writing. I'd written things before, like 16 and 18, and I never really finished them. Um, and that's what solidified it. And I sent it to a producer, and she very politely tore, tore it apart. Um, and I cringed, and after I got over my own insecurity, I picked up a book that someone told me to read called Save the Cat, um, and that tricked me into thinking that it was something that I could actually do. Um, fast forward, I made Margaret, and in the editing room, I realized that there was a structural problem with the film, and that had to do with the writing, and I was so mad at myself, and I, I feel like we ended up fixing it um, and it ended up being okay. Uh, and it became something even better than I imagined. But knowing that that issue existed in the editing room, I immediately, um, I immediately took the Robert McKee class. I uh, called every single writer I'd, I'd worked with who would take my call and ask them for advice. Mm -hmm. um, and I got a lot of help um, mm -hmm. and a lot of people who were willing to talk and um, things that really really stuck with me. I, I, that's when I learned about Sid Field and I devoured all of his books mm -hmm. and um, I just tried hard. It's beautiful that you've been so brave to learn a new skill. I think as, yeah. you know, let's say, I said young people, we can say older people. Learning a new skill as a grown-up is rare. You don't have a lot of people who take it upon themselves to seek out and then learn to perfect and execute new skills. You have to be super brave and vulnerable to really go after something like that. It's just impressive to me. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe it's bravery or maybe it's, you know, uh, just stubbornness of like, don't tell me I can't do something <laughs> or like I have to conquer it. I don't know. And I think it's different for everybody, but I just know that what I want to do is tell stories. I've always wanted to do that since I was a kid. I've always wanted to make films. And um, at, in my 20s is when I started saying, I'm not going to keep talking about this. I actually I'm have gonna to do, do it. it. And doing it takes action. So you referenced Margaret in the Moon, which was a film that we had at the Syndependent Film Festival uh, our first year, which was a lovely uh, animated piece, uh, fairy tale, uh, really Real lovely life story. life and animation. Yeah, right. Because it was like, I don't really, it wasn't like cartoon animated. Right. It was... Lots of, lots of stuff, honestly. It's about a young girl who is facing bullying in school. There's very little dialogue in it. She becomes friends with the moon through um, kind of the shepherding of her grandparents, starts fantasizing about this relationship that she has with the moon, eventually makes a friend um, in the stars, and really 
finds herself um, throughout it. Can anybody, where could, can someone see that if they get online or? Uh, I just found out you can actually use Vimeo for distribution. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I also found out about this thing called podcasts. Uh, those are pretty popular. <laughs> um, yeah, yes. actually, I think we're looking to, because now, now it's so easy to do it, we're, we're looking to um, distribute it via Vimeo. Now you can do that. That's cool. cool. So uh, in the next like few months, I think we're going to probably okay. put it up. Be so. on the lookout for that. Yeah. yeah. So that's a, a lovely story. And so the script that you have with us here today is a script called 10 Hours, uh, which is about an Uber driver who gets booked for a ride for a 14-year-old girl that is a much longer ride than your traditional Uber ride would be. Uh, between Margaret and the Moon and this, is, it, it, do these sort of represent like uh, different ends of the spectrum for what sort of topics you cover when you're writing? What, what's some of the motivation to when you're picking a story that you want to write about? Is there a certain wheelhouse that you stay in or not? You know, I've tried to ask myself that a lot of that. Is it, is it types of stories that creates style or is it the way in which you tackle any story that's style? Um, and I think uh, I've, I've settled on the fact that most people, um, whether whoever the filmmaker or the writer is, will only do it in their style, whether it's a murder mystery or a comedy or an action film. Um, and I think uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's copping out of the question. Of, of, I mean, a little bit. Um, well, it, I mean, it ties into what we talk about, which is that you're the only person who could possibly write the stories that you're writing. It's always going to have your spin on it because you did it. Yeah, it has to. It has right? to. Otherwise, what it what you're not actually making it. Um, I don't know. I think that it's somewhere. I think I think you're right. Is is that somewhere inside of you it comes out? Does that make sense? Totally. Yes. Um, well, just in terms of a through line, I was just you know thinking about Margaret and the Moon, and then this story that involves a 14 year old girl. Stories focusing on children coming from your past and career and whatnot. Uh, yeah, is children, that sort of a through line? There? Friendship, I think, is a big thing. I, I like um, I like the idea of uh, opposites. Mm -hmm. um, I really like the idea of, of two people who shouldn't be friends becoming friends. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I would love to make a buddy cop movie one day, as it, <laughs> but, but in, in, in my brain I was kind of making like an odd couple story here. Yeah. Um, that was sort of my take on like how can you take two people from two completely different worlds. And I think nowadays um, we, have, we are so divisive in so many different ways where it's an actual thing that people are discussing um, Ellen DeGeneres and, and George Bush in the same room. Um, that's how divisive we've, get, we've gotten. Um, and I think that that's silly because I, I, you know, I haven't met all of you, but all of you seem pretty nice. Um, and Even I if you're not, we can sit in the same room together, for yeah, God's sake. <laughs> yeah, no, that guy's a prick. But... <laughs> 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 I just think that um, I believe in humanity a little bit more. I think that, that uh, just because you're from different ends of the spectrum doesn't mean that you can't find a commonality. Um, so the story that we're talking about today, do we need yeah, to set up? Well, that. okay. That's right, it's a live studio audience. It's all very new to us. <laughs> all right, well, let's jump into a little bit of the screenplay. You guys want to set it up? Yes, would love that. So uh, this is, a, again, a script called 10 Hours. Uh, this is now getting into the live read portion of the show, which uh, I, I always love it. It's important for us that you, our, our listeners and those here in the audience get to hear the actual words that are written by the writer. Because we can talk right. about it. 
literally all day long, which we're not going to do. But getting to hear what is coming out of these artists is just so special and unique. So every show we have, we do little pieces of the screenplay. We're going to do some for you today. So this is 10 hours. Uh, again, this is the story of a driver named Mateo who has uh, picked up a girl named Bela, and he's driving her a, a very significant distance, Trevor. What, what's like a thousand miles or something like that? Uh, yeah. Um, spoiler alert, it's a 10-hour drive. Yeah. Um, and he sort of accepts what? it before he knew where the destination was. I wish that I really yes. didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and, and Bela is the girl that he's picked up. She is, I don't want to say that she's a pill. She's very much her own person. She's not a traditional, let's say, child that will yield to what a grown-up either thinks or wants. She's, she, she's used to doing her own thing, because as we learn, the script goes on. That, that's sort of what she's had to do over the years. Yes, yes. And they have, they're about halfway through the trip, let's say, and uh, she likes listening to conservative talk radio, uh, she's very sort of probing in her questions. She's very personal, uh, maybe un inappropriately so, but she's 14, so, you know, she's a kid. Uh, and this is where they're sort of about halfway through their trip, and they've taken a pit stop to go to a pizza place that's in a truck stop. Is that, is that about a good yeah, setup a, for us? Yeah, that's a great setup. All right. So, listeners, if you're following along, we're going to start at the top of page 11. Am I playing someone? You're playing the cashier, yeah, buddy. Yeah, the cashier. Right. This is the best role you've been asked to do yet. <laughs> yeah. So far, it's the only one in a while. <laughs> Jack's going to be reading for Mateo. I will be reading for the 14-year-old, Bela. Oh, my gosh. I'm so flattered. <laughs> <laughs> and as ever, Frank will be doing all of our action headings. So, Frank, whenever you're ready, buddy, take it away. They walk up to the counter where a man in a visor stands in front of a cash register. How can I help you? I will take a jumbo cheese with a side of ranch. The cashier rings it up. And for you? Um, do you still serve breakfast? 24-7. I will take the breakfast chicken sandwich without the chicken. Excuse me? I'll take the breakfast chicken sandwich without the chicken. I don't understand. What don't you understand? Why get the chicken sandwich if you don't like chicken? It's not that I don't like chicken. I don't eat chicken. Why? I'm a vegetarian. You're a vegetarian? Yes. So what can you eat? Is that really important? Like you don't eat no meat? No, I don't. The cashier condescendingly huffs. <laughs> I don't know how I'm supposed to do that. Do what? Your job? It's really simple. You give her the breakfast sandwich without the chicken. I get that, fruit pie. It's a frozen sandwich. So fruit what am I supposed pie? to do with the chicken after I take it off the sandwich? Mateo takes a deep breath. <sighs> Bela's eyes narrow. A man with a tray of food walks by. Why don't you take the chicken and stick it up your ass? Bela grabs the man's soda and chucks it at the cashier, exploding it all over his face. Run! She takes off. Mateo is bewildered by what just happened. He takes a beat, beat to register and then makes a break for it. Exterior, pizza place, continuous. Bailey gets in the driver's seat and starts to drive. Jump in! Hey, hey! Mateo is running alongside the driver's side back seat trying to open the door. Get in! Open the door! She tries to find the unlock button and I can't find it. I don't know where it is! She accidentally unrolls the window. Behind Mateo, the cashier chases after them. Open the door! Bela unlocks the door. At the same time, she hits the gas, pulling away from Mateo. Bela! I'm gonna kick your ass! Bela calls out the window. I'm gonna switch! Hop in and drive! The car stops. Mateo catches up. As Bela gets into the passenger side and the, and the car takes off, she forgot to put it in park. 
Sorry, I forgot to put it in park. I only have my permit. The car slams to a stop. There. Mateo jumps in the car and takes off as an angry cashier almost grabs him. The car peels away. Interior, car, continuous. Did you what see What the hell face? is wrong with you? <laughs> I got a little mad, I admit, but he called you I don't Krupa. give a shit what he called me, you little asshole. You threw a drink at him and then stole my car. I didn't steal your car. You were a little slow on the getaway. No, what gives you the right to just drive someone's car like that? Do you even have a license? A permit. Shocker. Since I picked you up, you have been a pain in the ass, and this is the final straw. They probably called the cops. Who knows if they have my license plate, but beyond that, someone could have gotten hurt. Probably me. No wonder your fucking parents haven't called you. They're probably probably thinking, yes, finally, some respite from the spawn of Satan. Tell me, Mephistopheles, is that what you're normally like, or do I just have you in rare form? This stung. She takes a beat and slowly gets into the back seat. Mateo, pissed, continues driving. After a long silence, he hits the radio. Shit town comes on. Exterior, car, continuous. The car gets on the entrance ramp of the highway. Exterior, highway, montage. The car drives under streetlights while Shittown rages on. Interior car. Hours later, Mateo turns the podcast off. We're getting close. What's the matter? Sad your joyride is over? It's too bad for you. I have enough of your shit. Mateo looks in the rearview mirror. Bela looks out the window. You made a fool of me. You had your fun. She doesn't say anything. Just stares out the window. Is this what you do with your friends? Troll random adults? Long beat. I don't have friends. Mateo's guilt seeps. Interior, gas station, later. A six-pack of wine coolers plop on the counter. Interior, car, later. Mateo and Bela sit in the car on a residential street. He opens two wine coolers. Look, let's make it quick before your neighbors notice and think I'm some kind of pedophile. Have you ever been in love? Are you fucking with me right now? Because if you're fucking with me, I swear to God, I'm going to be really pissed off. She shakes her head no. Mateo takes a moment and avoids her gaze. Once. What was his name? Mateo takes a second, unsure if she's busting balls. Gabriel. You broke up? Yep. Bela thinks. Why? His parents super Christian. <laughs> what is it with you that you gotta ruin any semblance of a normal conversation? No, not everyone is so extreme. There are accepting human beings on Earth. Then what? He went to college. Long beat. Is that what you're saving up for? Mateo looks away and drinks his wine cooler. Yeah, if it makes you feel any better, this is the best one of these I've had. Ugh, I think they're gross. Rides. Mateo does a double take. You do a lot of these? Holidays, every other weekend. My parents always say they'll drive, but they always throw me in a car with someone else. Most of the time the driver doesn't speak let alone buy me alcohol. <laughs> this driver didn't buy you alcohol either. Your dad did. <laughs> she laughs. You must hate the drive. Mm, I hate feeling like a possession more. Something that gets tossed around but no one pays attention to, like a plant. Thanks for making this fun. She offers a cheers. He clinks her glass. I hate you. <laughs> they both laugh. Interior car, montage. They laugh and joke. Interior car, following morning. Mateo sleeps in his car. Bela slams the car door. He jolts awake. Jesus! <laughs> gotcha! Ugh, what time is it? Eleven. So here's the cash, I promise, but there's one thing. Mateo counts it. You're never gonna make it back by dinner time with your family. Yeah, well, look, I... So come inside and at least have a Thanksgiving meal with mine. 
Mateo is taken aback. Um, Come on, it'll be fun. Look, I don't know. It's gonna be me and my mom and her dog. That's, it's just... Please, you can't be alone on Thanksgiving. There's a big tip in it for you. Ugh, don't say shit like that, like I'm some sort of prostitute. Money isn't that big of a deal to me, you can just buy me off. I'm sorry. Beat. Please. No. Mm. I'm not getting out of your car till you say yes. Yeah, you know, I believe you. <laughs> Beat. Mateo thinks. Did you ask your mom... She isn't going to care. Go ask her if she's cool with it if I come in. You promise? I promise. Bailey gets out of the car and runs inside. Mateo looks at the money, then looks at the house. He turns on his phone. The Uber application is on iPhone, incoming ride. Accept, yes or no. Mateo stares at the application, long and hard. Black. In the scene. Yes, Trevor, let's talk about this Bela character. Yeah. I haven't, I have for her this idea of connecting over dispute. She gets in this guy's car and immediately she's just calling out all kinds of political things, assuming stuff left and right about him as if it's the only way she knows how to connect. What do you think about that? Do you know someone in your real life who's actually like that and did they inspire this character? Uh, I mean, there's a scene that you did. It's, first off, it's really weird hearing, uh, hearing it removed because um, because I know what the movie is now and it's not it's not even any reflection of what it is that we just read uh, which is really funny and it only further reminded me of how much I overwrite um, the the thing about it is is that there's a scene that we ended up cutting out of the movie where she um, brings up DACA Mateo is uh, Spanish and she just assumes that he's a dreamer in the conversation and it's, it's really, I mean, not to call my own work funny, it was meant to be funny, where she is just assuming things about him and inadvertently being uh, kind of racist. Uh, but yeah. from, her, from her perspective, she was just being really like open and feeling like she was being generous. Like, I, I really support dreamers. Um, and I feel, at the time, I thought it was really funny to put a person who's 14 years old with these... Um, supposed understandings of like these larger issues um, and then not realize how in which you can communicate in a way that someone else finds offensive um, and I it was more of a satire on uh, just how we communicate every day yeah um, I think that she's a person who really needs to be heard because no one will listen to her um, and isn't listened to um, and probably grows up in a family, like for instance, the me, my dog, uh, my mom and her dog. Uh, I added a line in the actual film that it was me, my mom and her dog, Ann Coulter. Um, <laughs> so she's just like, she's she, in a political yeah, world. That, 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 that potentially is the way in which she can actually gain some of her parents' attention is mm. by um, discussing things that they, that they are consuming on television or, or, or radio. Um, but largely is ignored. Um, and I think when we started to get into the film, I started to realize that the, re the, the real root of it was is that she, she was really wounded um, and that a lot of the dialogue that I wrote was overwriting and overwriting this person and what, what really was happening is, is that she was kind of a damaged individual. 
um, and didn't really know how to interact with people. Um, and that came, that, that, you know, Walter, I think Walter Murch says that the, that the editing process is the final draft of the script, and that's been, that's been true for me yeah. very much. One of the things that I noticed in terms of, you, you talk about writing like odd couple sort of pairings, but I mean, both Mateo and Bela's character are both, they're both very alone and, and not by choice, at least as far as what's presented in the script. Uh, he's taking steps to fix that, I think in part because he's an adult and he can, and he can do these drives where he can make some money because he's trying to go to college to maybe reconnect with someone. She's sort of out still being kicked around by whomever and her line about feeling like a possession and I, I was curious if that was coming from like a specific place for you. Uh, I feel like the idea of when people, we kind of do it unconsciously a little bit with children, right? Like we, we give them iPads or we turn on the television and on some level that's a way of buying the adults, like buying the adults some time. Um, and they don't realize that the, sometimes that can subconsciously have an effect on people. And I remember recognizing certain things with other children that their relationship with their parents was different um, and that they didn't talk to their parents about certain things. And I always found that interesting um, that someone could latchkey their kid um, on some level, um, but still be giving all of the responsibilities like still, still being responsible and making sure that they're taken care of, but the kid feels completely ignored. Mm -hmm. And I always found that kind of heartbreaking um, because it feels like they're more of a thing or, or uh, a, pos a possession, a thing, um, uh, a plant that they can't forget to water. You, One other thing to worry about. Yeah. You think that that just comes from like your experience of growing up as a child and watching other children have that? Or as a grown up, is it something that you notice people do with their kids that just kind of strikes you? I mean, on some of us, it's got to be a little bit of both, right? Mm -hmm. um, the first inclination of it is probably seeing how other people act with their, their parents at certain ages. And then, um, you know, seeing kids who don't, who seem, you know, the ones who seem kind of shy, but they're the most responsible and the parents don't have to worry about them. Yeah. Those are the ones who tend to also be the most alone from what I can see. Um, and I think it's a combination of both. Um, you still do a quite a bit of work with children today, don't you? you well, I mean, you write for kids, you cast them. Yeah, I work with. I mean, I don't know what that says about me of uh, that I can like speak speak child. Um, but, uh, <laughs> speak child. I there's something about. I've 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 come to find out that most people don't find it as um, easy as I do working with kids. Other people, especially in film, it's known to be like a harder thing. I just enjoy it and I get it. Um, and I think that's partly because I grew up in, in front of a camera. Right. Yeah, you actually yeah. do get it. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think one of the things that like, most people don't really think about in terms of working with kids is, is that um, they're really effing smart. Mm -hmm. And the moment that you, don't, you treat them like a kid is where you kind of lose them. Mm -hmm. And holding them accountable and giving them responsibility is something that they enjoy because uh, they feel like they're being depended upon. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I don't know what it is. I, I, think, I think also um, 
the world can be so different through the eyes of youth um, in a way that rem makes us remember our own youth and our own um, hope or uh, joy or um, fear in a, in a very different primal sensitive way. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? It does make sense. It does me. Mm -hmm. What about you? No, it does. I, I think that it's the idea of, I mean, just, you know, whether or not you understand another person's story and being open to where somebody's coming from on something, whether that means you're talking about two adults talking to each other or an adult and a child or even two children. It's, it, 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 it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, Jack, who's the guest here, Trevor or you? Uh, hey, everybody. It is a very self-conscious Jack here to talk to you about Undie Stamps. It's a monthly service that sends you postage stamps to buy under... <clears throat> no, so... Listen, there was a bit of a technical issue here during the live read, a uh, computer hiccup that led to a chunk of the show uh, being dropped out. I'm just trying to stitch things back together to the rest of the show that we do have. Just assume that me talking just now, I said something drawn out and asinine, and when the show comes back, Trevor is going to be talking about the differences between having written the script and then how things needed to change when they were shooting the film 10 hours. Thanks again to Pod Discovery for having us on to do a live show. Thank you so much to Trevor Morgan for being a brilliant, engaging guest who drove in from Chicago. And yeah, that's all you need from me. Here you go. Here's the rest of our first live script shop show. ...to what the film is. Um, the opening scene was really long, and it was I thought it was like really funny, snappy dialogue. This, like, this script actually reminds me of, of, of how I... <laughs> <laughs> like how I just overwrite and I'm not that great of a writer, I guess. I just, that's, how, that's how I look at it. The scene, um, we, first day, we, we shoot the opening scene and that opening scene, we uh, go to lunch. I need one more shot before we can move on to the next scene and uh, we're just running out of time and we go to base camp. We were, we were there, there's two things, maybe two things and then you can pull the hook and cut the <laughs> mic off again. But um, we're, we're, so first, the pizza place changed into, Aaron, here's what I'll do. I love this part, too. So, yeah. so the pizza place itself, actually, um, we had a location, and the location, uh, like, two days before we started shooting, was like, and remember when we said that you, we were going to let you come here? We're not. No. Um, so we scrambled. My mom um, happened to know the manager of this place called Santa's Village, which is as you would think Santa's Village it's just a, a like little amusement park with a bunch of Santa stuff and the is it um, open year round yes I love I, I want to live in one of these places is it in Frankenmuth Michigan no no it's in it's in East Dundee Illinois okay um, and uh she was like, could you do it at Santa's Village? I could probably get it for free. And I was like, no, Mom. It has to be a pizza place. And I'm an artist with integrity here. And then I, was, and then I like, thought about it, and I was like, I'm an idiot. That is genius. Uh -huh. I called my mom. I was like, you think you could pull it? And she was like, yeah, I'll call him right now, and I'll let you know. And we had it, and I was like, this is genius. Um, so that is 100% my mom um, made that happen. And we just owned it. Um, it. The, so that was our base camp for the first day, that huge parking lot. And when we shot the first scene, we, we were missing one shot to get us out of that scene. It was in the middle of winter. As, as we're driving to go get lunch, as we're on our way to, to, to get to catering, it just it goes from literally clear skies to an absolute whiteout snow blizzard. And I'm thinking in my brain, 
um, what am I going to do? Uh, and we eat lunch, and there is no way we can go get that other, other shot. Um, there's just no way. It's not going to match. So my first AD was like, is there anything we can do in the parking lot? Like, they're in a car. Can we just make it look like they're in a traffic jam? And I was like, and he was like, we'll just keep it all parked. And I was like, no, let's not keep it all parked. Let's keep the cars moving, and let's absolutely do that. And I'm going to um, get some improv. That ended up in the movie, and it, helped, um, it actually helped solidify them as friends, which is, on some level, kind of what the script was missing. Um, and, uh, you know, because that works so well, I realized that um, I needed to pass time over 10 hours, and I needed to have more moments like that. And I realized that she came alive in a very different way. She was a child who, was, who, who became a child. Like, to see her as a kid is what became endearing about her as a character. So then I added two more days to the schedule, Aww. and I did a bunch of improv with her. And, there's, and um, the last day, I knew that that love thing that he said wasn't going to work, and we're like, screw it, let's, let's add it in the improv. Let's do it then. Let's do it then. This is coming way too late. It doesn't make sense. We should learn about this character earlier. And, that's, and that was uh, Jose's idea. Uh, he's like, can we just do it in the improv? Let's cut it. Is that it's not is working. Jose who plays Mateo? Yes. Okay. And I was like, that's genius. That's what we're going to do. Um, so we rewrote the script, literally that end scene, right before we went and shot it. And we were on wow. our like, 12th hour. Um, and thankfully, you, know, you, just, you try to surround yourself with um, really talented people. Um, and uh, hope they don't allow you to fail. Awesome. I love it. Well, Trevor, thank you so much for spending time with us on the show today. It's incredible to talk with you about like this story and what it means to you and why you're the only person in the whole world who could have written it. <laughs> Big hand for Trevor, everybody. Big hands. Big hands. Folks, thanks so very much for coming out. We really appreciate you uh, listening to the show. Uh, please, again, check us out. We are on the internet, scriptshopshow.com. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at scriptshopshow. Uh, on Twitter, she is your bestie, Westy. And he is at scriptshopjack. And Frank, did we, did we hit everything we need? This is, I get to actually check in with Frank about if we'd said all the things we're supposed to say. I just want to thank the uh, podcast festival. Pod Discovery, thank you so sponsors. much to Sean and Steve both. Thank you, guys. And thank you all for being here. We really appreciate it. Good night! And what you gotta do your clothes? What are you doing? Are you crazy? I'm drunk, what can I say? <laughs> what? I'm not, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Wait, what? Alright, until next time, friends, that's a wrap. There we go. Thank you. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.